Welcome to the Green Valley Church Podcast, based in San Diego, where we are focused by scripture, unheard in relationships, we serve through strengths, and enthusiastically invite. We're so excited you found us. If you want to learn more about us, go to greenvalleychurch.com. Now let's get into today's message. You can hear me all right? Yeah, works all right. Sorry, Andrew, works fine for me. Well, um, good to see you. We just got back this week from uh, Scotland, which is apparently right about the same temperature as it was here this morning as well. So apparently we brought it back with us. I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, is everybody warm enough? It's uh, kind of chilly out there. Well, it's good to be, um, it's good to be together. And uh, this week I witnessed something very strange on the plane uh, as we were coming home. No, no doors flew off. We were all right there. But it happened right at the end of the flight as people were getting ready to exit. You know, you know how it goes, right? Uh, the plane lands, you taxi to the gate, everyone starts getting antsy the closer you get. Finally, there's the, the tone that sounds, the fasten your seatbelt indicator turns off, and suddenly it's like off to the races. Everybody is ready to get out. In unison, they jump to their feet, they grab their bags, they, they shoulder into the aisles. It's as if you cannot get off the plane fast enough at that moment. Like the race has just started, the starting gun has went off, and it, there's a prize for getting out the door. Well, this week, as the plane landed here in San Diego, it was bizarre. The tone sounded the fasten your seatbelt sign went off, and no one moved. Instead, everyone stayed calmly in their seats. No one got up, no one opened their overhead compartment, no one grabbed their luggage, no one stood to their feet. Instead, it it was silent, almost tranquil. What happened? Why this bizarre behavior? Well, what I didn't tell you is the captain had announced a few minutes before we landed that there was a passenger on board who needed medical attention. And he asked everyone to stay in their seats until the passenger was attended to by a medical unit. Which is why no one moved. Someone needed a doctor. The passenger was escorted off the plane and attended to, and then suddenly we were all frantic passengers like normal. Everyone eager to get out of the cabin as quickly as possible. I imagine you've all been in situations like that, where there is a stark difference between someone who needs a doctor and the rest who do not. It's a very clear line. When you need a doctor, it's often urgent, pressing, a priority. It takes precedent all over, over all other urgencies. We've all been in situations like that. And I don't, I don't have to tell you this, we would always prefer to be the one who does not need the doctor. It's normal. We don't want to be in need. We don't want to need medical help. Which is why when Jesus describes himself as like a doctor to us, we sort of bristle. It doesn't exactly land well with us. I mean, doctors can be for others. That's all well and good. But we would rather not be the one who needs medical attention. We don't necessarily want a Savior who is a doctor. We prefer a Jesus who simply blesses our healthy efforts, a Jesus who keeps our flight on time, our baggage secure, the traffic light, and our efforts successful. 
We don't want to be in need. We prefer to be healthy and just let Jesus bless our healthy efforts. In fact, we've even invented a motto for this self-sufficient mindset. God helps those who help themselves. But is that true? Is that what Jesus taught? That God helps those who help themselves? Is that biblical? Is that actually the way things work? I mean, it's important that we figure that one out because we all want to know how to access His help. We'd all like to know what we need to do on our end to ensure His help on His end. Well, open with me, if you will, to Matthew 9, starting in verse 10. Matthew 9, 10. This morning we begin a brand new series uh, for a brand new year, Stuff Jesus Never Said. Over the next couple months, we will look at some common expressions, expressions that many assume that Jesus said, taught, things that we expect that he would have embraced and passed on to us, expressions that have become truisms in our culture and the way we see things, even expressions that are championed by well-meaning believers, expressions that sound good, that, that ring true, but actually can be quite misleading sometimes even dangerous. But of course, along the way, we won't just talk about what Jesus didn't say. Each week, we will also contrast it with, with what Jesus did actually say. And we will compare them side by side, and we will learn and discover that what Jesus said was so much better, so much richer, so much more beneficial, so much more freeing. In the end, we will see that these are actually the way more empowering for us as believers than the truisms that we often embrace. Today we kick off our series with the expression, God helps those who help themselves. And the reason that we like this motto so much is because there is a self-made, do-it-myself, I-got-this tendency in all of us. There is a self-made, do-it-myself, I've-got-this tendency in every one of us. Why is that? Well, several reasons. First, we don't like to feel needy. We don't like to feel like we need help. We need that we need assistance, that, that we can't make it on our own. We like to be those who help others, but necessarily those who are helped ourselves. We, so, so we have sort of molded our faith into one that presents a God who gives high marks for self-achievement. A God who searches the earth for those who are self-starters and ambitious and, and blesses them. We imagine a Jesus who says, if you really want my help, you'll have to work for it. Impress me, and then I'll see what I can do. After all, God helps those who help themselves. We like that because, well, we don't like to feel needy. Also, we gravitate towards self-help because we don't want to seem lazy. We don't want to seem complacent, sitting around on our hands, waiting for God to do everything for us. I saw a meme a few weeks ago where the caption read, fill out one of these and God will bless you with money. You look at the picture below and it's a job application. <laughs> fill out a job application and God will bless you with money. And there's something about that that makes sense to us. We say, you know, good results happen when we put effort in. 
God doesn't want me to be just sitting around just expecting Him to do everything for me. Go out there and do something. Don't be lazy. And it is certainly true that God doesn't want us to be lazy. He doesn't want us to wait around and do nothing. It is accurate that that God usually wants us to step out in faith in conjunction with His help. So maybe the motto, God helps those who help themselves, is, is the way to think about it. We don't want to seem lazy. But a deeper look reveals a less noble reason. Deep down, we prefer a God who simply blesses our efforts. We like it when we pour our energy into what we want, and then Jesus sprinkles God dust on it. We don't want a doctor. We want a self-help coach. We want someone who makes our lives and our efforts successful. We prefer a God who simply blesses our efforts. We do the work in the way that we want to do it towards the goals that we want to achieve, and then Jesus helps those things happen. A God who blesses our plans. It it jives with this self-made, do-it-myself, I got this tendency in all of us. And so we invented a phrase, a motto for our religious preference, God helps those who help themselves. But is that how Jesus operates? Is that what he taught? Is that how he is? It's important we know because we all want to access his help. Is that the way Jesus operated? Well, just look at the people that Jesus helped when he was here on earth. Jesus helped handicapped individuals and powerless widows and sick children and paralyzed servants, those whose lives were a mess. Jesus helped dead people who definitely could not help themselves. When you take a close look at those who Jesus did help, mostly Jesus helped the helpless. Will Davis put it this way. He said, Jesus didn't target the put-together, the well-polished, and the religious performers. Chances are they wouldn't have seen their need for what he offered anyway. Rather, Jesus targeted the down and out, the spiritually bankrupt, and the religiously lost. At least while he was here on earth, Jesus seemed to have a bias towards helping the helpless. So let's look at what Jesus actually did say. By now you found Matthew 9, verse 10. Matthew 9, uh, 10, it begins this way. While Jesus was having a dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew, the guy who wrote this book, and it is named after, would have remembered this event well. It was one of his earliest encounters with Jesus. And get this, Jesus is coming to his house to eat. So Matthew invites a bunch of his friends, uh, which would have included other tax collectors, as well as a whole bunch of people that back then would have been considered undesirable company. Quote, unquote, sinners. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now the Pharisees were the high achievers of the day. They would have definitely loved and embodied the expression, God helps those who help themselves. They would have embraced it. They would have applauded it. They would have taught it. 
Now, they were not at the party, obviously, but they were watching, and they approached Jesus' disciples with a question. It was a loaded question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Apparently, Jesus is within earshot, and so he doesn't even allow the disciples to answer. He jumps right in to answer this question himself. He says, I'll take this one. And here comes the part where Jesus compares himself to a doctor, the part I mentioned earlier, verse 12. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus compares himself to a physician and the people at the party as those who needed his help, the sick. This is the first thing Jesus wants us to learn. When we sense this God helps those who help themselves, tendency brewing inside of each of us. We must learn, first of all, whether we realize it or not, we need Jesus to be our spiritual doctor. Not just our spiritual director, not just a coach who helps us do the things that we want to do. Our spiritual doctor who heals us at the deepest level possible. The Pharisees consider themselves righteous. That is, they consider themselves spiritually healthy. And therefore, they didn't think they needed a spiritual doctor. They didn't think they needed Jesus. And so when Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick, he's not saying that some people don't need his help. He is saying that some people don't realize that they need his help because they feel self-sufficient. They are help-themselves type people. Jesus absolutely wants to help everyone, but not everyone realizes that they need it. And while it is sometimes hard to admit that we are needy, the good news is that most of us have benefited from a doctor somewhere along the way that gives us reason to embrace this metaphor that Jesus used. I'm so grateful to have years ago recovered from serious surgery I ran into my surgeon in a, in a restaurant a few years later. I couldn't believe it. I just saw him there out in public, and I went up to him and I said, I am so grateful for your skill and training. It, it changed the course of my life. Though we don't like to admit that we are needy, along the way, most of us have known the benefit of med medical intervention. So when that self-made, self-sufficient tendency starts to brew inside. We must first of all learn that we desperately need Jesus to be our spiritual doctor. We need Him to heal us in the most essential way possible. To heal our souls and make us right with God. Now look at what Jesus says next in verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I wonder if we've ever really taken Jesus up on that commandment. Go and learn what I mean. Go and learn what this means. If we had, where would we learn it? Well, Jesus is quoting an Old Testament passage. 
And he longs for us to understand what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. To see its relevance for our lives. To understand why this phrase is at the heart of what it means for him to be our spiritual doctor. And to understand that his very mission is captured in that phrase. The reason why he came. So let's look at the Old Testament passage together and move a little closer to learning what it means. I'll put it on the wall. It's an obscure passage um, from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament where God says this to his people. I'll start a couple of verses ahead of time. He says this, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? These are terms for his people, Israel. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. In this passage, God says that his people, when he looks at them, he sees that their love is is so fragile, it's so fleeting, it's so temporary. Like the dew in the morning, it doesn't last. And I want you to key into that word love. Your love is like the morning mist. It's really a rich word in the Hebrew language. In the original language, the word is hesed. It is a great word. It means loyal, true, unfailing love. A love that is devoted and bonded by relationship, by covenant. It's it's a great word, this loyal, true, rich, relational love. So hang on to that for a moment. Because then two verses later, we find the verse that Jesus quoted in Hosea. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But here's what's awesome. The word for mercy there is also hesed. It includes mercy, but it is way more than mercy. It is the exact word that God has just used for love, this this relationship that he wants with his people. This true, loyal, unfailing love, a love that is devoted and bonded by relationship. In other words, God is saying, I long for you to enjoy this loyal, devoted love relationship with me, even above any sacrifice that you make. When God says, I desire mercy, he's saying, I want chesed, loyal love, deep love, relational love, more than any of your sacrifices. So the second thing Jesus wants us to learn is this. He values relationship over independence. Relationship over independence. Consider a couple different translations of of this Old Testament passage um, to bring this home. The English Standard Version of the Bible translates Hosea 6, 6 this way. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The New American Standard Version of the Bible says this. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. And the message translates it, I am after love that lasts, not more religion. So when we take Jesus seriously about learning what this passage means, go and learn what I mean, what it means when it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When we take Jesus seriously about that, we realize that mercy is another way of talking about living under God's mercy which grows out of our connection, our relationship with Him. This this love relationship, this this bond that is created in in our father-child relationship with Him. And the reason why Jesus is so eager to help those who recognize their need is because it fosters relationship. Rather than an independent self-help coach that comes 
to us uh, when and blesses our efforts. We come to Jesus with our real needs and partner with him in the process. It doesn't mean that we work less. It means that we trust more. It's the second thing Jesus wants us to learn is this. He values relationship over independence. There's a third thing that he wants us to learn. Let's look at the verse once again in Hosea 6.6. After God says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, he adds a parallel statement. This happens a lot in the the Bible. Two lines of poetry that say pretty much the same thing, but they complement one another and increase our understanding. So right after the phrase that Jesus quotes, we read this, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God is saying, just like I desire a relationship with you more than your animal sacrifices, in the same way, I would rather have you truly acknowledge me as God rather than your burnt offerings. To acknowledge God is to recognize who he is and include him in our lives. To acknowledge Him is to know this is who you are and then to acknowledge Him as we go about our daily lives and see He's there. He's involved. He's present. We, we allow Him to partner with us in our endeavors and, and we receive help from Him from beginning to end. So finally, the third thing Jesus wants us to learn is to put receiving ahead of achieving. To put receiving ahead of achieving. Instead of trying to do everything on our own and then hope that God will bless it in the end, which is the God helps those who help themselves mindset, we acknowledge Him from the very beginning. We include Him from the start. It's not about us achieving all that we can and then letting God add His help. It's about receiving His help from the very beginning and, and then letting achievement happen as He desires. Let me say that again. It's not about achieving all that we can and then letting God add His help. It's about receiving His help from the very beginning and then letting any achievement happen His way. Jesus wants us to to value receiving ahead of achieving. Because there is a a self-made, do-it-myself, I got this tendency in all of us. After all, we like to uh, avoid feeling needy. We, we don't want to seem lazy. We prefer a God who simply blesses our efforts. And so we cling to mottos like God helps those who help themselves. But if we really take G- seriously Jesus' commandment to learn what God means when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, we will embrace him as our spiritual doctor. We will value relationship over independence and put receiving ahead of achieving. So perhaps instead of saying God helps those who help themselves, perhaps we should say God helps those who recognize they need his help, which is all of us. And the good news is he's so ready to help.